Podcast. It's Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters. I'm David Hooper. This podcast primarily is about getting people to care about your podcast. That is done through a couple of ways. One of them, having great content, being a great host, the guts of your podcast. The other is the audio quality of your podcast. And I don't spend much time on that. I did a little bit on the last episode about Audacity 3 because that is such a big deal for the Audacity community. If you're not familiar with Audacity, I encourage you to check it out. It's a great way to do a podcast. On this episode, I wanted to share a different perspective. I've got a conversation that I did with Steve Stewart You know Steve Stewart from the Podcast Editors Club. It is probably the largest group of podcast editors on Facebook. 6,000-something people are members. He also runs Podcast Editor Academy. He knows a lot about Audacity, like me. He's a huge fan. And I wanted to bring him in to talk about the new release, but also because he does so many edits for so many different podcasts talk about his philosophy of what makes a good podcast and be able to comment on that a little bit differently than I would in that he is doing the brass tacks editing on a lot of different people. So he sees the raw content that you and I never hear. And he works with it. He makes these podcasts sound great. We talked about owning the niche. We talked about the editing side hustle. Not only is Steve seeing a lot of podcasts as far as the editing he does, because he's part of these big communities, he also talks to a lot of other podcast editors. So you're going to get a lot out of this, getting started editing, the psychology of working with guests, the psychology of working with clients. Again, a lot out of it. You're going to really like this. This is my conversation with Steve Stewart of Podcast Editor Academy. Steve, you started out as a podcaster. Am I right about this? Yeah, absolutely. 2010. So let's talk about the transition into podcast editing. I'm curious, when you started podcasting, was editing a thought at all? Did you think, like I did, oh, you know, I'm a good speaker. Don't need to edit. How did editing come about? Well, editing was definitely part of something I wanted to incorporate into my own show for the first five years. And it lasted for five years just because I want to make sure my message came across clear. And I had the ability to do it. I'd already been using Audacity for, you know, ripping vinyl onto CD through my computer. So I knew how to use it, recording a podcast using Audacity and then editing it inside of Audacity just seemed to be natural. So it wasn't that big of a deal to me. I knew it was a time suck, but I kind of had that back in the day. You were a DJ. Let's explain why you were ripping vinyl. Tons of vinyl, and that's how we did music back then. You wanted to digitize it, Mm -hmm. and you understood a good mix. Yeah, I lived in Chicago. I was working in record stores in Chicago, so I got lots of promo records. I grew up in the Chicago house scene and was working in the nightclubs, so I had lots of vinyl. And some of this vinyl, you you still can't get on digital today. You have to convert it yourself. So when CDs came around, you could burn your own discs through a computer. And boy, we're aging ourselves when we're talking about that, aren't we? Um, I actually had a mini disc player for a while. but (laughs) Me too, me too. Yeah, burning those uh, vinyl records onto a CD, a burnable CD, so I could just not have to lug around all these records when I did weddings or corporate events. Yeah, the crates (laughs) and the the flight case with the two turntables, because I also did hot mixes. To reduce all that down to a laptop? 
And it was just crazy. So, you know, I had to have something in between. I did start with Cool Edit Pro, but that was a bootlegged copy. And I felt guilty after a while. So then when Audacity came, I was like, all I need to do is some kind of digital conversion. So I started ripping, you know, songs onto discs. Chicago, it really was, some people would argue Detroit, but it really was a house music epicenter. And you know what's interesting parallel between music and how radio used to be, too, and podcasting mm-hmm. is everybody had their niche. There were regional scenes. So there would be things that would happen in Chicago that you would not know in New York or L.A. or definitely not Nashville. We were a completely yeah. different type of scene. But that's interesting. I didn't know that that's how you got into audacity and, and, and digitizing stuff. It just it was a transition. Let's stay on that thread for a little bit because I had a background in music as well, as you know, music marketing. And one of the things that I really liked back in the mid-90s when I really got going was that what you're talking about, that technology to, let's say, create a CD. Uh, I remember I was out DJing too, and and, uh, the first time I, I talked to a guy and he had a CD burner. I was like, you got a CD burner? He's like, oh yeah, all serious DJs do. <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't because they were expensive, right? At the time I had an independent record label and we felt so empowered that we could put out our own stuff. And that's what I think podcasting has done is it gives you the power. You can be in St. Louis. I can be in Nashville. We sound like we're in the same room. I can edit this. I can distribute it online. I don't take that for granted. It's one of the reasons that I transitioned from music into podcasting because music is everything has consolidated and radio has consolidated. We lost that. I mean, I guess it's still around, but it's it's moved into things like podcasting. To own your own RSS feed, to be able to distribute stuff anywhere you want, using platforms, but also if you have your own website, it's just so empowering that you could be on the same playing field as the big guys. And of course, you don't get the the promotional power that they have, but man, you get the power to be able to be online right next to the NPRs and the NYCs. And, you know, I'm talking about podcasting, but, you know, for the music scene, put your own record online. That's so cool. Yeah. Because it used to be we just wanted somebody to hear our stuff. And I think a lot of podcasters are are there. I mean, just because you put it out doesn't mean that people are going to hear it, but at least you have the opportunity. You don't have Mm -hmm. to, like you were doing, burn it to a CD and physically hand it to somebody it's a whole lot easier to throw it on rss let's talk about your editing because you had a podcast called money plan sos which i loved super polished and it was financial advice how to get out of debt personal finance would that be the way to describe it exactly exactly what it is so personal finance you're into editing and how did the business of editing come about there was a conference, an annual conference that started in 2011, one year after I launched my podcast. I didn't get to go to that first one, but I made it to the second one and just saw that the community there was really helpful. It was originally called the Financial Blogger Conference. So it was anybody who wrote blogs, articles, anything that had to do with money was invited. And then it kind of expanded to include podcasts. So now it's called FinCon. So I kind of grew up in that community as the blogger with a podcast. So people would come to me with questions, and I was always encouraging people to, what I said back then was, put your face and your voice on your blog. Get your face and video on your blog, because all these people would put up a, you know, they'd have the name of their blog, but it had no relationship to their actual identity. And I think you lose something when you don't have that identity there. You just, you have this moniker or whatever. So I was always encouraging people to start a podcast and get their name out there and have that connection with people that you wouldn't get with a blog. And that's where 
people started to know me as somebody who could help them. And uh, one day in 2015, I got to speak with a, a very popular blogger who was talking with another very popular blogger. They both wanted to get together to do a show, and their dynamic was fantastic. But they didn't want to learn how to edit themselves. They wanted to outsource that pain of, of podcast editing. And they asked me, I said, Steve, you're always helping people. We know you like you trust you. Would you do the editing? And at the time, I was like, sure, I could do that for you. It's going to cost you because it's, it's a real time-consuming event. And they said, absolutely. So that's how it started. I think I was making about half of minimum wage by the time I right. polished up the episode. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a side hustle at the time. And once other people in that FinCon community heard that I was editing for these two popular bloggers, they started coming to me. So within six months, from January 2016 to about June of 2016, I got so many clients that I had to give up everything. My own podcast, my financial coaching business I had built for eight years. I gave it all up to do just podcast editing for personal finance podcasters. And you still specialize in that niche, is that correct? Yeah, I'm blessed to be able to say that I I can command a decent wage and still focus on a single niche. I don't need to take on new clients, and I definitely don't need to go outside of my lane. I'm curious, is the guy running podcast editors club you run into a lot of editors you talk with them do you think that's a good business model for somebody who wants to have a side hustle or else a full-time editing job to specialize in just one type of content oh yeah absolutely i believe they should niche down and then niche down again now you may need to start out outside of your lane outside of your niche just to get some experience get some testimonials as you're doing that you're getting more practice you're getting better at what you do so that by the time you are able to then focus on a specific niche, you've got more skills to be able to demand a higher wage. Also, I believe that when you're in a niche, it should be a niche that you're not just familiar with, but maybe that you actually appreciate or you enjoy. Or one, like for me, I knew the space, I knew the community, I knew the same things that they do. There's other ways I could help my client who was in the same community that I was at the time to do things other than just editing their podcast. You've got specialized knowledge of the community, I guess, of the content as well. Does that help when you're editing these podcasts? Yeah, yeah, because I'll be able to bring up a question to uh, the client saying, hey, the guest said this, is that accurate? Or, you know, when I'm giving some special instructions, I kind of understand it better than when somebody starts using monikers, say, hey, Steve, take out the part where we're talking about the uh, Roth IRA, blah, 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 the, the contributions were wrong. I understand all that, where most people would be like, huh? <laughs> yeah. I think it's worth mentioning that that is how you can charge more for essentially the same amount of work. I mean, you're still doing the same edits as somebody else would, but it's a little extra for you. I know for me with the background in the music industry, as a host, I'm able to ask some questions, maybe about royalties or something. Same thing as the financial stuff, but very specific things, things about live events, promoting live events because I've done it, things about marketing because I've done it and I'm doing it. That's great advice for somebody who's looking to break into podcast editing or even podcasting. I call it dance with the one that brung you. Yeah. And also think about the fact if you're in that same community, you might have some relationships with other people that your client wants to reach out to. Yeah. Or maybe you can contribute ideas. A lot of podcasters want feedback about their show. Well, if you know the content, you can say, is this content good or not? When I first started out, I was editing for some kind of a physical therapy, even more niche than that type of medical doctor. 
I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. The host sometimes would say things and stumble a little bit, and I didn't know how to edit it because I didn't know what the word was. <laughs> right. Maybe he was saying it correctly, right. or maybe it is hypersensible, topical, blah, 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 you know? <laughs> <laughs> what makes a good podcast for you? What's your philosophy when it comes to putting a show together? Keep the conversation going, and uh, I got to get away from the long, drawn-out introductions skip over calls to action at the beginning and we get to the content. When I read the title of an episode, that's what I'm coming for. And what takes five minutes to get there, I'm angry because I feel like I've been lied to. So that's the first thing. And I used to do that too, by the way. I had an episode that my wife, my wife really didn't never check in my, my show until one time. First seven minutes, I was talking about this budgeting software that I also was an affiliate of. <laughs> but the title of the episode had nothing to do with that. It was kind of related, but not. So I learned a lesson at that time to just get to the meat quickly and you can do the community growth, talk about yourself type thing at the end. People who are real fans are going to stick around to the end to do that. In any podcast, content is king, but audio quality is queen. I can understand why people who are being interviewed who don't have a microphone sound like they do, but in the environments that they're in, there's certain things they can do to improve it. But the host, there's no excuse. There should be what I call the scratch test. Every time you get on the mic, and that is you as the host say, hey, guest, I'm going to test my mic real quick. Can you hear this? And you scratch the head of your mic just like that. If they can hear that, then you know that your mic is on. If they can't, then maybe you've picked up your onboard microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't tap anything because I could say, hey, do you hear this? Now, I just tapped my desk and they heard that, but that's not what I wanted them to hear. You know, if I was tapping my microphone and they heard, I mean, how do you know? Yeah, That means the wrong microphone picked up a sound. They heard something. Great. Check your microphone. Get in a quiet room. Turn off the cell phone. Get the kids off of Netflix so you get a good, strong internet connection. I mean, all these simple you know, tasks. Well, I shouldn't say simple. All these normal advice things. <laughs> Just common sense. I do that with my guests as well. The way we do our radio show, everybody gets a check at the beginning, but it's with the engineer and the producer, not with me, an equipment check, I mean, and that's a day or two before, just so we can make sure the equipment is running. When it comes time to tape the show, there have been instances where I'm thinking they've just had bad audio, but it's not that they've got bad audio. They're coming through a computer mic, and I don't know that they actually had a better mic, and sometimes somebody on the line with us maybe is you know, embarrassed because you're having to correct a guest and you want to be on the same side as your guest. But that's something you can do at the very beginning. Hey, let me make sure that you've got the mic and you've got to know for that reason, what kind of mic that they have. Because sometimes people are coming through a computer and maybe that's the best they can do. And in that case, there's nothing to scratch. Well, that's the beauty of doing the scratch test as the host first, because then you say, okay, let me check yours. Yeah. If they're tapping on something and you're like, well, it didn't quite sound like a microphone, then you can have the conversation. You've already put yourself in the position of, I may not have my mic on. So when you approach them, what have you got? Because sometimes you can't see what they have. Like right now we're using a clean feed that doesn't have any video. So I don't know what you're using. I can't see what you're doing. So just the audio check is simple. Oh, and by the way, please, I'm going to jump topics here. My biggest pet peeve on all of this, if you're doing over-the-internet interviews, wear freaking headphones or earbuds, period. Yeah. David, I know you did an episode about when to wear headphones. Yeah, well, I'm wearing them now. I'm wearing them yeah. now. 
There's one thing you failed to mention that was it's absolutely mandatory is if you if you're interviewing somebody over the internet, you have to wear headphones, period. Yeah. It will ruin the audio. You can't predict that the noise cancellation is going to work right or not. If there's any delay, the software really can't pick it up and it ruins the audio. Everybody goes under water and it's that whole sound and you can't fix that. It's all gone. You cannot fix it. Yeah, the only reason not to wear headphones is if it's a monologue and it's you straight into the mic and you've got good mic technique and you're willing to risk it. Yep. But if you've got to hear cues or you've got to hear a guest, 100%, you've got to do that. You know, something else that I do, Steve, you talking about you doing the thing first about scratching the mic just to make sure it's your mic to show the guest that you don't always have it together. Sometimes I'll make a mistake on purpose. (laughs) Or if I don't make a mistake on purpose, I absolutely let the guests know that it's okay to make mistakes. I find that that just loosens people up because sometimes we get red light syndrome where somebody will just freeze once that light comes in. And I get it. You were there at NAMM when you saw me have a panic attack on stage. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, what's he doing? Is he he trying to show an example of something that he's going to do later in the show? (laughs) No, my mouth went dry. That was was for real. And it was scary. And surprisingly enough, it happens to people that you would not think. I've had it happen in the studio with me with presidents of record labels. I've had it happen with people that are on stage all the time. And you never know when something like that's going to kick in because you get nervous. That red light comes in and... Yeah, I never have to fake messing up because I will do that pretty quickly in the first couple of minutes. And my guest then sees what I'm talking about. We're kind of talking about this already, but I was going to ask you too, not just what do you think makes a good podcast, but what do you think makes a good podcast host? Like, what do you need to come in with? How can you better develop what you've got to become a better podcast host than you might be initially? What do you see working through all the podcasts that you are? What are the hosts that really stand out and what are they doing? Well, a good podcast host is going to record the introduction of their guests. They're not going to start off with, hey, so tell us about yourself. Yeah. They're going to go ahead and pump up their guests as the rock star that they are. If they aren't a rock star, why are they on their show? And they're also taking control there. Uh-huh. That sets the pace throughout the interview because it's not up to the guests to produce a show for you. Yeah. If you start off with, hey, today I'm interviewing Pat Flynn, who, you know, smart passive income. And then this and this, you've already told Pat you're introducing him this way. You can do it live with them at the beginning, or you could record it after the fact as like a monologue piece. If the guest already knows that, then you don't have to start off with, well, I was born in Michigan and you're 19, you know, you don't have to go back that far and talk about all that, that back stuff. We can get right to the meat of the episode, which is what's happening today in the topic that we're covering. What's the worst thing you've ever seen a host do? What's something that can be improved on that is maybe a an easy thing to fix, but you see hosts that are just not aware that that's going on? Well, I have to go back to not doing a mic check before you start recording. I've had <laughs> some, just recently even, just some podcasters, over 300 episodes, and all of a sudden, there's two episodes I get in about a month span where their laptop mic was selected. How did this happen? Now, I understand, you know, operating systems get updated. You know, sometimes they're traveling, they're, they're disconnecting cables, putting them back together. But just to get in the habit of checking everything first, that's probably the easiest, easiest thing to fix. I can't even think of anything else. That's just on my mind right now because it's happened not just with one person, but with a few other of my clients as well. And sometimes they have to go back and re-record their segments. And you lose the magic of the moment, too. Sometimes your tone is different. You don't always say the exact same things and 
even though sometimes we want things to sound perfect, the way we say them aren't perfect. Right. And that just sounds more natural. You stumble through, well, let me, let me guess, ask you about this question that I was thinking about, you know, sometimes that, that thought process of getting through the question is actually pretty good for the conversation. What about guests? Again, this is something that you're dealing with all the time and guests, I would imagine, are a whole lot more inconsistent than the host that you're working with. But what makes a good guest or what is something that somebody is thinking about guesting on a podcast? What is some advice that you would give to those guys just to be prepared and do as best as they can? I guess the best advice I have isn't really easy to do, and that's just to be in the moment. You know your subject matter. You know your content. You don't need to have your book in front of you. And, and please don't don't always say, as I wrote in my book, you know, the <laughs> listener's there to hear what you know, not what you wrote in the book. Right. So knowing that, I guess you have to put trust in your host that they're going to lead you down a conversation that's going to reflect very good on you. Uh, this is a hard question, Dave. I'm trying to think what's... Let's go down that trail then, because trust, you hit on something. If an author has a book, well, that's in the book, or they're going to start pitching the book immediately as soon as they get on the show, not trusting the host is going to take them down that path, build the credibility, build rapport, and then pitch the book. Trust is one of those things. I, I like that you hit on that. Well, the problem is that we have a lot of podcast hosts that don't do a good promotion of the book. And so the, the guest feels like they have to do it. But I, yeah. I have to wonder, is there really anything lost if the guest who has a book doesn't say, as I wrote in my book a million times, is there really something lost that they just have a really good conversation? And at the end is, hey, guest, how can my listeners follow up with you? How bad is that? You're not going to buy a book from somebody the first time you hear them interviewed. More than likely you don't. Maybe you do. But most people, they don't buy a book the first time they, they hear about it. Sometimes they'll wait and they'll hear about it from somebody else, referred to by somebody else, or they hear them on another podcast. And they're like, oh, and there's credibility built there, too, because they hear them in more than one places. And part of why people buy a book is they like you. They agree with you. Yeah. And, and you can certainly show that without plugging the book 24-7. Exactly. So if you're a really cool person on a, on a podcast... Listeners like, oh, I'd like to know more about this person. They follow up with you. They check out your website, check out your socials. And then, hey, there's a link to the book. I don't think there's anything lost if you aren't talking directly about the book or if, if the host isn't doing a very good job promoting it. And you know what? Right now, we aren't talking anything about Audacity, which has a new version out, which I just love. We're not talking anything about the Podcast Editor Academy, which is something that I have to sell. We're not doing any of that, and I don't care if we do or not. So that's just proof right there that if you have a good conversation and people end up trusting and liking you, they're going to follow up if they want to. And that's just going to lead them down that path to where you get to make some more genuine connections, even if it's just following them on Instagram. That stuff works. It does. When somebody comes on my podcast... You sign an agreement, or check it in this case because it's online, and it says, I understand that all episodes will be edited, not can be or may be edited. They will be edited, and that I will not receive final edits for approval. So speaking of that control, how often do you run into something where a guest maybe says something that they regretted or they want to see the edits before something gets out? Do you guys work around that situation like I do, or how do you work with it? If my client requests it, I have no problem with it. And there's, as long as the time allows me to get it done by the date that they need it to, I have that happen maybe twice a year, but more often than not, it's the host says, Hey, let's take this out. Let's take that out before I even get to the edit. I just had one 
recently they uploaded a file on Friday, said, hey, Steve, I'd like you to take out this comment about basketball and tutors. I have no idea what they're talking about because I haven't heard the interview yet. But as we're going through the interview, they're talking about basketball and tutors. So we take out that section. Yeah, It's something the host really needs to be in control of anyway. And if they tell us ahead of time, well, it just makes it easy. And I've always said that to make a podcast better, take out the weakest question and answer section. If you've got six or seven questions, you take out the weakest one, you've got a stronger interview. There may not be any really great content lost by taking out the weakest question and answer, but you just made the whole interview process stronger and the listening experience better. Yeah, I was using the example of comedians. You're trying to get to that laugh quicker and people think you're funnier because of it. Same thing with podcasters. If you've got great content after great content, after joke, after great content, people love that. And it's not the droning on like we're talking about that some podcasters start with. Yeah, and if we forget what you wanted to say, you just pause in a podcast recording and you edit it out later. Editing's great, isn't it? (laughs) Well, talk about that for a second because you're seeing the raw tape of all these guys. And I think that when people hear us, us being podcasters, the final mix, they assume that we're very smooth on the mic. And they assume that 45-minute episode took 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Give us the dirt, Steve. When you're getting this raw tape, if I gave you an hour of raw tape, just on average, you're cutting out a lot of that, right? On average, a recording will be 12 to 18% smaller by the time I'm done with it. Taking out just crutches pauses that don't need to be there it's amazing how you know i've got a you know 60 minute recording it's 48 minutes when i'm done it's insane that's a lot of content you think but it's not content it's just this the little verbal audible or even the silent pauses that don't need to be there they get they get in the way of the listening experience but 12 to 18 percent on average and that's not just me i've taken this poll inside of the podcast Editors club on facebook and I hear about the same results from everybody. It's 12 to 18% shorter just because they're taking out ums and ahs and you know breaks that don't need to be there. When I started doing the solo podcast, the monologues, I was about a two-to-one ratio because I'm working for bullet points. I'm not reading. Reading wouldn't have been much better. I think my audiobook, 10 finished hours, I'm sure I recorded 30 hours trying to get for that perfect take. I would rethink things as I was saying them. Or like you were saying, I would say it one way. I'm like, eh, you know, I want to say it a different way. And sometimes the first way is better than you got to do a third way. It's certainly not uncommon for what you're talking about to happen. I think 12 to 18%, that's pretty reasonable. I haven't told anybody this before, just because it's never really come up in conversation. But the way I used to record my show when it was a monologue was I'd have my outline in front of me and I would hit record. And then if I didn't like what I said, I'd go back and start over again. Right. And it could take me two hours to do a 30-minute monologue. It's just the way that it worked for me, rather than trying to get through the content and then going back and take out the things I didn't like. And I think a lot of it was just re-listening to what I had said to make sure it came out right. That was my process back in the day. Was nothing that gets you clearer on being a good host and editing yourself. (laughs) Yes. How did you become so smooth on the mic? Because you're good, man. You're good. I was really disappointed that you stopped doing your podcast because we we need good hosts in podcasting. (laughs) How did that happen? Were you always a talker? Well, uh, there was a time many, many years ago, way before podcasting, that I I wanted to 
teach myself how to not say, I don't know, and then to find a different way of saying it. Or if I did say, I don't know, then I'd follow up with a solution. So I started to train myself to be able to speak a little bit better than just saying what's right on the top of my head and having it come out and then saying, oh, wait a minute, hold on, but I have a solution or, you know, those types of things. And you know is my crutch right now, by the way. I say you know all the time. It drives me nuts. I'll realize that in the edit, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, but as a mobile DJ, uh, I used to do the uh, corporate family events at the Nissan plant in Smyrna, Tennessee, just south of where you are. Mm -hmm. When you're in front of 15,000 people and you're on a mic, yeah, you better walk into that scenario knowing what you're going to say before you just start rambling on. It just sounds really stupid on 12 PA speakers strewn out about the place (laughs) when you're just like, hey, everybody, um... (laughs) You just, you lose command of the moment and you're being paid to command the moment for your client. They want somebody who's going to be out there to entertain people. Same thing as on a podcast. You need to take control of that moment. Don't go into it saying, hey, you know, uh, you guys, you know, uh, we're going to sort of, no, don't, don't sort of do anything. Do this. Don't kind of do anything. Do this. Kind of like maybe. I hate those phrases. We got to talk about mobile DJing for a minute. This is not a, <laughs> this is not a rabbit trail. This is absolutely specific to podcast editing and hosting. One of the things that's great about DJs is that you can get in and you can get out. Like maybe you've got to talk over what they call like a break or the introduction or something. You've got to get out before the lyrics come in so you're not going to compete in it. Mm-hmm. But I think that that can hurt some podcasters and that we're doing long form content. So I think there's good things about doing short and to the point. And there's also good things about going longer. I've seen a lot of radio guys that can't really transition into podcasting because if they do what they call scope their show, just take the words of the show of an hour, that's six to 12% of the hour because music and commercials are the rest of it. Maybe it's just the awareness. Maybe I'm answering my own question, what you just said. Like, how do you feel that being a mobile DJ Doing those live events has helped you with your public speaking. Well, obviously, you get away from your fear of talking in a microphone. <laughs> you put yourself out there right? Uh, in the nightclubs. I started in the nightclubs. That's where I really started DJing for other people. I did some weddings, too. I think I was more familiar with weddings than the nightclubs. But uh, Oh, we should actually go back a little bit further than that, David. If you haven't heard, uh, when I was in high school, I was a DJ for our breakdancing group. <laughs> so I <laughs> We need video. <laughs> I, I can get you some. You know, obviously, I had experience on the turntables playing music, knowing how to format and transition from one song to another. So I had that experience so that when it was time for me to actually do something like nightclub DJing and uh, doing corporate events or whatever, when I started to use the microphone, then I was a little more comfortable with focusing on the mic and not worrying about what song do I play next? Because right. that's already taken care of. It's already right. ingrained in my DNA. Let's talk about the energy of being like a DJ. So let's say you're doing like a wedding or something like that. One time I was doing a wedding and at that time we had transitioned to CDs and we had them in, I guess they were cartridges that had like the Mm -hmm. six CDs in them just because they were easier to pack up. So we weren't even really mixing anything. We were just jukeboxes. And I remember (laughs) I had cartridge six, track nine, let's say, for the father of the bride dance. I used cartridge nine track six, and because I didn't know the song, I was like, oh, this is a weird song for the father of the bride dance. It was like two live crew or something. I don't know. But (laughs) (laughs) 
needless to say, it didn't go over well. That story, though, I think signifies the importance of energy and flow, getting people excited, but then having those nice moments in your podcast. Do you have any thoughts on flow of an episode? Because you can't just be like bombastic the whole time. Some DJs are. Those Miami guys. There's no ballads in Miami. But a lot of times during a full-on show, though, especially like a corporate event, you know, you'd have a slow dance and you've got party rockers. Do you feel the same way with podcasting? Can you talk about pacing podcasting and how that can work and what we can learn from that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We can start out with the 30,000-foot view. When you start out a show, you've got to be excited about your topic. And that can show with your voice and your pace and your tempo. When you're in the interview, you want to start out that way as well. Of course, you got to take cues from your guests because maybe your guest is a very logical thinker and they need a little more time to say what they're talking about. And you're all there. Hey, let's go to the next question. Okay, lightning round. You don't want to do that to them because they're going to be like thrown off the rails. But there are times, I think, where you get into a topic and it's really juicy and meaty and and it's not something you're jumping up and down, but it's something that you have the listener and the host should too, hopefully internalizes and listens to and learns from it, at least from the, the shows that I produce. The personal finance shows you're learning something. It's not just entertainment. Taking your time with some of these things or even giving that extra second pause after the guest has finished a thought or their sentence or their paragraph of what they just said before you get into the next topic helps the listener to internalize. So you've, you've adjusted your pacing that way. There's times where I actually add space between things just to give the listener that moment to digest what they just heard. Cause sometimes it's a, it's an impactful thought. It didn't come across like a mic drop moment, but you know that there was like a nugget there they need to just absorb. So the pacing comes in really handy, but then at the end we got to be happy and friendly. And if I take a cue from Joe Salcihai from Stacking Benjamins, and we talked about this earlier, at the end, he does his community building. So even though a lot of the times there's lightheartedness throughout the entire show and the pace is usually upbeat and still going, and there's there's those moments with the interview of the guest where they do get in some meaty topics. But at the end, then there's some joking around, uh, there's fun, and the community building happens there. So there's there's an ebb and flow sometimes in the pace and the feel of an episode. But it's got to also be natural because there's nothing wrong with getting deep and staying deep for a while and then coming back. Because we're, we're talking about long-form uh, content. Podcasting can easily be long-form content. And that's one of the benefits of podcasting is you can really go deep and long in a topic and still capture and keep people's attention for a very long period of time. Speaking of community building, you've got a community. It's called Podcast Editors Club. It's on Facebook. Thousands of people who are doing podcast editing. I'm not an editor myself. I edit my own shows. But I found it fascinating to see things like we're talking about on this podcast. How people approach editing, philosophies behind what to edit, certainly making something sound better. Let's talk about Podcast Editors Club, and you've got something very specific called Podcast Editor Academy. So if somebody does want to take editing training to the next level or even their own podcast that they're doing themselves, they're like me, and they are self-edit. Let's talk about these things because you've got training for them and you've also got community so people can learn from other people that are in the same line of work that they are. And I think this is great because we don't know other people are there sometimes. Yeah, let's start with the Podcast Editors Club Facebook group. It was something I started in January 2017, selfishly, just because I wanted 
a community that didn't have people coming in saying, hey, I'm, I'm new. I'm about to start my podcast. What should I know? I wanted to have something that really focused on the niche of podcast post-production. What surprised me was I started this group and I started asking people that I knew that did editing and that did some editing for other people, but I didn't realize there was that many people out there doing it for other people. Now, right now, we've got almost 6,600 members in the group. I'll tell you, most of them edit their own shows, and that's fine. They're editors. They take their podcaster hat off when they're sitting down to edit their show, and that's when they put their podcast editor hat on. And those are the conversations that we have when you're wearing your podcast editor hat. We're talking about all the things that happen after you hit the record button, you hit stop. Uh, and that's what makes it so special is because we're not having those people come in who are like, hey, what microphone should I use? That, that yeah. question has been answered a thousand times. Hey, what do you think about Anchor? What do you think about Squadcast? Okay, those <laughs> questions have been answered a million times in all the other groups. We don't need that in my group. We've been able to focus and stay in our niche with the Podcast Editors Club. And then if you've got people who want to make a career of it and they're looking for help and additional tutorials and, and ways to grow and, and learn other DAWs, I've got inside of the Podcast Editor Academy two to three live demonstrations from members of the community who have come on and they did live streams with us and explained how to use Hindenburg, how to use Reaper, how to use Audition, how to use Pro Tools. We have all those inside the Academy so that if you do want to learn how to use another DAW from somebody who edits for other people, this is the place to be because sure, you could find something like that on YouTube, but you got to filter through all the people who are using Audition for music production. Right. Which is most of them. Yeah, we're talking about podcasting. This is a different medium. And how do I use it? GarageBand is horrible for editing podcasts because it doesn't do a ripple delete, or at least it didn't. It was horrible because you, you edit a piece and it wants to stay on that 4-4 beat. You can't do it. Right. Whereas everything else, I mean, there should be a way to strip silence or to do a quick crossfade when you're doing an edit so you don't hear the bumps in the edit podcasting is a different medium so we've got all kinds of things like that plus we've got conversations with people from descript and i mean descript is an amazing piece of software yeah transcription software oh my gosh you 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 get a transcript of your audio and then you edit the transcript and it edits your audio for you how crazy is that well you can see podcast editors club just go on facebook search podcast editors club and it's a big one as you mentioned six thousand something people in there as of now very active, and, and I do appreciate it. Like a good editor, you're editing the content, meaning no questions about mics, no questions mm-hmm. about Skype, no questions about Zoom. It's really the meat. It's what you're looking for. It's stuff that you don't know, but you need to know. And it's a lot of stuff that you didn't know you needed to know it. That's what I love about it, just seeing a different approach to editing. Yeah, our conversations about Zoom are, I got the Zoom recording from my client. How do I make it sound better? That's what we need to know because everybody's using Zoom. Everybody knows how to use Zoom. You get a guest who has no idea what a podcast is. They have no idea. They don't, you know, obviously don't have a microphone, but the content's good. You're going to record it on Zoom if that's all they know. How do you make it sound better? Okay. That's the conversations we're having the Podcast Editors Club. Yeah. And I love it that it's not just sounding better from an audio standpoint. It's sounding better from a consumer standpoint, wanting to get that content. So you look into those two different elements, which is, I think, great. So many people, they only talk about frequencies or they talk about a <laughs> bunch of stuff that's over my head, compression and effects. Mm-hmm. And, and I love it that you guys are looking at the, the whole podcast, not just can we make this P sound less philosophy. <laughs> which is important, by the way. <laughs> 
It is important. That's <laughs> where it gets confusing, right? Because that stuff is important, but you can't do it at the expense of your content. Yeah. As a podcast editor, I always have to remember that this is something that, you know, if you're editing a, a piece of music, it's probably something that people are going to listen to more than once, but a podcast, they're probably not going to listen to more than once. However, if it's going out to 10,000 listeners, it's still got to be good enough that when they consume it, they understand what was said, that the plosives aren't there, that the car driving by is reduced, so it's not getting in the way of the message. <laughs> yeah. and, or, you know, I've got a lot of clients and they live in New York. And guess what you get when you're in New York City? You get fire trucks, you get yeah. ambulances all the time. And fortunately, my clients know to take a pause and then go back so that it's clean tape. You think about like Los Angeles, where they're out doing movies all the time. You might have seen an airplane fly overhead. They stop production on that. And that's good advice for podcasters. Let it go by. I live next to a fire hall. So I experienced that. Not here in the booth, but in my office. You definitely hear fire engines from time to time. Finish up, I wanted to talk about Audacity 3.0. Because it just came out. I've been using Audacity for probably 20 years. Just happened upon it, similar to what you did. I don't even know what got me into it. I think it was pretty easy for me to understand, and it was free. I definitely love the open source element of it, though. It feels very punk rock to me and empowering. Why is it that you're using Audacity even when you've got videos and community around all these other DAWs that I mean, you could use anything you wanted to? I think the main reason why is because there's a great learning curve to learning a new tool. Uh, even though I've seen Hindenburg and the awesome stuff that Hindenburg has, or Reaper, I really want to get into Reaper. But to take the time to learn them all right now, after I have mastered Audacity, I mean, I have customized Audacity to my workflow. I've got keyboard shortcuts, I've got macros, and they're assigned to keyboard shortcuts you know, adjustment of the play at speed and automation and things like that. I mean, I've got it set up pretty much the way I want it. So that if I went to something else, I would definitely slow down production. And right now I'm in a position where I don't want to slow down my production. Making money is pretty good, right? <laughs> so to learn a new DAW, there's got to be a, a, I've heard this before. If you're going to sell a better iPod than Apple, then it has to be more than 10% better. Right. So there's got to be something really important, really good, really useful for me to add it to my workflow or to replace what I'm using. For instance, I am paying for Descript. I do use Descript because I've got a couple clients that they do monologues and they have distinct speech patterns that I can run the audio into Descript. I can then search for the word write with a period <laughs> after it. And the 30 or 40 sentences that end with the word write... I can easily take it out. And that just saved me probably three or four minutes. That's a million-dollar tip right there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, right? Like, you know, but like, uh, um, and a lot of ums. It's not perfect, but I've been able to work it in my workflow where it does help me out. I do like that. Plus, there's some other benefits to having a transcript and things like that. But I just haven't replaced Audacity because I haven't felt the need yet. There's not that DAW that does 10% better yet. It really is nice to see people who are, I think, taking audio seriously and also taking content seriously. Because a lot of times people say, audio doesn't matter, it's just the content. And a lot of times you see people say nothing about the content, it's just audio. So this is a great combination. And you've got Podcast Editor Academy, which is something you do with Mark Deal. Mark Deal, you may be familiar with, runs the Podcast Atlanta group. 
which is a great group in Atlanta, Georgia. If you're ever there, they do meetups and things all the time. So mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity to connect with local podcasters. But Podcast Editor Academy, I appreciate something like that because you mentioned YouTube. You could go to YouTube and Audacity does have a big community. There are a lot of videos there, but a lot of them, as you mentioned, they're for music. And just your time is worth something. Just to have somebody run you through the process and if you've got a question about Hindenburg or Audition or some of these others, and sometimes you'll run into people, if you're going to edit, they want you to use those tools. So if you need that information, you've got it at Podcast Editor Academy. So that's the plug for you, Steve. You trusted, just like we talked about, and here it is. I wrote it in my book. (laughs) (laughs) That's like musicians. Oh, it's on the record. You can come see the show. It's like, no, no. That's not how it works. Give the info, but understand that people will want more. And there's so much in there. There's a lot about philosophy here, but when you're really interested in the brass tacks of editing, the things like zero crossing tool, you know, that never came up in 20 years until about two weeks ago. (laughs) And it changed my life. Uh, Steve, thanks for being here. And your site, I want to plug it. It's stevestewart.me. So if you want to see what Steve is doing, I put some information on my blog about Steve's podcast editing business that kind of shows the back end of that. So if you want to see what he's doing, I think you'll find it inspirational if you are looking to get more into podcast editing or just you know improve your process on your own podcast. That's Steve Stewart, Podcast Editor Academy. Before you forget right now, definitely go check out Podcast Editors Club. It's a great community of podcasters. If you are editing even your own podcast, you'll get a lot out of it. I was just on there talking about my trackball, the Kensington Expert Mouse was editing this episode, ran in something. I, like, oh, I don't know the answer for this. I'm going to go to Podcast Editors Club within about 10 minutes. Had five or six different answers. It's a good resource. Whether you're editing for money or whether you're editing for yourself, check it out. And also check me out online, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. That's where to get all my marketing podcasts. I make it easy for you. Subscribe via iPhone, Android, RSS feed, One click is all it takes, bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Thanks for listening to Build a Big Podcast. I've got another bonus episode from Steve Stewart coming up. Speaking of editing, this is some content. I didn't feel it really matched this episode. It's a little bit more technical, but if you are editing your podcast, it's a quick bonus. It's coming up shortly. Watch for it. You'll get a lot out of it, just like you did this one. Thanks again for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode of Build a Big Podcast.